and welcome to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a weekly update and analysis podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. My name is Craig Johnson, and this week we'll be talking about who fascists are. So in the past two weeks of our introductory sessions, we've talked about what fascism is. Second, we talked about what fascism does, that is, how it works, how it operates politically. And we're going to close out our introductory sessions by talking about who fascists are, uh, that is, what to look for when you're trying to determine if a group is a fascist, and what demographics of people fascists typically recruit. Many people, when they think about who fascists are, their minds go back to the Nazis. Uh, they're the paradigmatic example of fascists. And so you would be correct. There are, in fact, still some former members of the Nazi party still alive. Um, last October in Germany, we saw the beginning of the trial of one um, Bruno Day. Uh, who had been a guard at a prison camp operative during the Holocaust. However, the majority of people who deserve the name fascists are not uh, 90-year-old former Nazi prison guards or SS operatives. Um, they're in fact members of political parties in Europe and the rest of the world, or members of small militant organizations or intellectual circles, the kinds of things that we talked about in the previous episodes. In this episode, I'm going to be focusing not on the members of political parties in Europe. I think that we're going to talk about that later. Instead, as promised, we're going to be talking primarily about two militant organizations operative in the United States today, um, the Patriot Front and the Proud Boys, uh, two very plosive sounds that I hope you will uh, forgive me for. Now, the first group that we'll talk about is the Proud Boys. Proud Boys were founded by Gavin McGinnis, uh, one of the co-founders of Vice Media, um, back in 2016. Now, Gavin McGinnis uh, styles himself as one of the, quote, original hipsters uh, in Brooklyn, uh, where I believe that he still lives uh, with his wife and children. Um, the Proud Boys are a quasi-joke type of organization in that sort of, you know, late 20-teens internet humor type way. Uh, they're semi-serious, semi-ironic, sort of everything's a joke. Um, think about Reddit or 4chan, that kind of uh, humor style. Uh, their name itself, the Proud Boys, for example, uh, comes from the title of a song in the musical version of Disney's Aladdin. The Proud Boys are essentially thugs. Uh, they're a sort of gang-like organization not necessarily centrally structured or very hierarchically organized. Uh, they sort of operate more like in local cells, um, again, much more like a gang or sort of like a typical distributed paramilitary organization. Another thing that makes the Proud Boys specifically like a gang is that they have an initiation ritual like gang. Um, you need to subject yourself to being beaten up uh, by your fellow Proud Boys. Uh, you need to get a tattoo of the Proud Boys, like PB or some logo or something like that. Um, there are some other weirder ones, but those are the ones that make them specifically um, like a gang. One of the other things is that they have a uniform. Um, we discussed this in the previous episode, um, but the Proud Boys typically wear black polo shirts with yellow trim. Another thing that distinguishes them as particularly violent is that their violence is not limited to their fellow members, of course, um, the Proud Boys are specifically violent against their political opponents. Um, Gavin McGinnis has been quoted, uh, and this is something that you could YouTube if you felt like it, 
um, as saying that violence is good. Um, violence is a good thing. It solves problems. If you recall from our previous episodes talking about what fascism is, this is this is you know straight textbook stuff about how fascism works and what it does. Violence isn't just good for the violent in that it gets them the things that they want. It's good for the violent in that it makes them into better people. And violence isn't just good for society in that it produces a better society. It is actually constitutive of the better society. A good society is more violent, and that's what the Proud Boys espouse. The Proud Boys were involved in various right-wing events uh, from the last four years, from the Unite the Right rally to the Berkeley protests of 2017 and 2018. The Proud Boys continue to be involved in several militant actions, primarily on the West Coast, uh, despite the fact that they were founded in New York and are, are still active in New York. Um, but one of the major hotbeds of Proud Boy activities is Orange County in California uh, and Portland, Oregon. Uh, both of these branches occasionally go to the Bay Area uh, in order to harass Berkeley students or to attend rallies that are centered around the activities of the Berkeley College Republicans. Now, the second group that we're going to be talking about this week is the Patriot Front. Uh, like the Proud Boys, the Patriot Front was founded by a particular man, uh, a guy named Thomas Rousseau. Uh, Rousseau is a little bit of a funny name uh, for the founder of a fascist party to have, but you know, we gotta find humor where we can. Uh, the Patriot Front formed initially as a splinter off from a group called Vanguard America, which had participated in the Unite the Right rally, which, uh, despite its name, actually served to splinter uh, the right wing and its potential unity in the wake of the 2016 election. That'll be the subject of a later episode, I guess. Anyway, uh, after splitting off from Vanguard America, Thomas Rousseau founded Patriot Front as an explicitly white nationalist fascist group. Um, they use the fascies uh, in their symbol. Um, it's a fascist surrounded by the stars of the United States. Um, this is sort of what you might expect a comic book version of a fascist group in the United States to use as its logo, but you know, there it is. Um, specifically, they use the fascists because they were upset that members at the Unite the Right rally and other budding fascists in the United States were doing things that scare regular people, like using swastikas or talking openly about anti-Semitism. Instead, the purpose of the Patriot Front is to present fascism in a more sort of understandable, palatable guise. Uh, not use swastikas, not talk explicitly about anti-Semitism or racism, but instead talk about nationalism, patriotism, America, uh, to clothe their politics in symbols that are a little bit less obviously fascistic, uh, although for listeners of this podcast, that should no longer be the case. All in all, the Patriot Front is much more serious um, than the Proud Boys. Uh, they're not as jokey. They're not as sort of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, they don't claim quite so much sarcasm in their rhetoric. They, in fact, are very specific about requiring their members to participate in political organization. We're talking about pamphleting. We're talking about standing on street corners and talking to people. This is the sort of political organizing that many people are surprised to see or hear fascists doing. Um, but as we know, fascists are not sort of fringe crazy people necessarily. Many fascists are true believers in their ideologies and pursue them with the kind of strategic rigor that any real political believer would. Uh, to this point, uh, the Patriot Front actually recently held 
a rally in Washington, D.C., where they were treated just like any other political organization. They received a police escort, they marched peacefully, and dispersed relatively peacefully. Um, that is, if you define hate speech as peaceful. So, between these two groups, the Proud Boys and the Patriot Front, we have a reasonably good starting point for talking about fascist demographics in general. Uh, and once again, I'm talking specifically about uh, smaller militant-type fascist organizations, the kinds that we are seeing currently growing in the United States. In a later episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about fascist groups that emerged from the 20th century political formations after World War II. Uh, those are more concentrated in Europe and in the rest of the world, and they'll be a focus of a later episode. So, when we're talking about fascist youth, we're primarily talking about, well, the youth. We're talking about young people, um, people who are under 40, typically um, from college age to their 30s. Um, we're talking about the downwardly mobile middle class in general. Um, fascist groups in the United States today uh, do a lot of their recruiting on college campuses. And this might surprise some listeners who, like many, assume that fascism is a ideology that has no content or that it's anti-intellectual or something like that, and that it therefore is sort of incompatible with college environments. Um, this is, of course, in keeping with the fascist and right-wing perspective on what colleges are for. Uh, they often accuse them of being, you know, breeding grounds for Marxist ideology. In fact, most early fascists are themselves highly educated relative to the rest of the population that they are a part of. Previously, we talked about their downward mobility. Um, it's typical for early fascists, uh, that is the members of these youthful militant organizations, to be either members of families that had been upper class and are now middle class, uh, or members of the middle class in a time when the economy isn't going in a particularly good direction uh, for members of the middle class. Uh, so we're talking about people who are college educated or who are potentially pursuing a college education in a country where that had previously been a ticket to middle class life, um, but that is no longer the case. The last effectively universal quality of most early fascists is that they are cis men. Um, in the 1930s and 40s, this was effectively universal uh, in that these political parties uh, emerged from veterans groups or among veterans. Um, in the present day, that's not necessarily so universally the case, um, but the Proud Boys, as their name suggests, uh, are a gender discriminatory organization. They have a female auxiliary. Um, the Patriot Front similarly is a gender discriminatory organization, and male supremacism as an ideology, uh, that is the belief, that men are superior to women in certain very particular and politically informative ways is a pretty universal shibboleth in fascism. Now, some of the other things that people often think characterize fascists and fascist organizations uh, are a little bit less reliable. Now, it is true that the vast majority of the time, fascists and the members of fascist organizations are the members of majoritarian or dominant racial, ethnic, or religious groups in the country in question. Uh, however, that is not necessarily the case. Uh, after the departure of Gavin McGinnis from the Proud Boys, uh, their leader is now a person of color. He is Latino. 
similarly, in the past, uh, the Italian Fascist Party counted a number of Jewish people among its members. Now, another thing that often is thought to characterize fascism is homophobia. Um, this is a little bit trickier, um, especially in the present day, as many fascist organizations and fascist militants uh, soften on the question of homophobia. The case of Milo Yiannopoulos and his relationship to the Proud Boys and other fascist groups in the United States uh, would be a paradigmatic example of this. However, the, the extent to which homophobia was previously about and sort of has always been about uh, protecting male supremacism, um, that remains the case uh, for many fascist organizations. Uh, one might even suspect that their increasing acceptance of homosexuals and homosexuality in their organization uh, stems from their uh, misogyny uh, as much as, or rather more than, their actual tolerance for homosexuality uh, as a sexual identity or practice. So given this, uh, we have our three relatively universal markers of a fascist demographic. Uh, it is young, it is disaffected and downwardly mobile, um, though highly educated, and it is male. Thank you for listening to 15 Minutes of Fascism. This concludes our three-episode intro series about what fascism is, how it works, and who fascists are. In following episodes, we'll do a little bit more sort of news update and current events analysis, uh, but we'll be continually coming back to these questions about what fascism is and how to recognize it uh, as those become relevant in the following weeks. Thank you for listening, and I hope you learned something.